In this episode, you'll discover how getting no's in business is actually a good thing, how to increase your quality of leads, which will double your sales, and find out behind the scenes of a brand new documentary on Netflix. Come on, come on, let's have it! Welcome to the Freedom Lifestyle Podcast, with your hosts, Callum Webber and Jacob Ingengore. Here we are then. So we're back with the Freedom Lifestyle podcast and we've got a very, very special guest on today. So to give a bit of context, in early December, I went to a business event in London for three days called EMC. Unbelievable event. It was a three-day event, some amazing speakers. And one of my favorite speakers at that event was a man called Spencer Lodge, who had a very, very, very powerful talk. But also fast forward to um, on Netflix in the new year in 2023, He's bringing out a new documentary, which is going to be so, so impactful. So I'm so grateful to have Spencer on this podcast today, and I can't wait to hear his story. And the amount of value this guy's got is is next to none. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Spencer. And if you can, to give some context to the listeners, flip back to like when your entrepreneurial journey started, and then fast forward to where you are now. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been good taking take three of this episode right now. So for the listeners out there, we've had some technical problems. Um... Look, uh, yeah, the audience here essentially is is twenty something guys, yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. So let me let me go back to when I was the same age as those guys then, because I'm fifty two now. I was obviously a youngster, eighteen years old, going out raving, you know, back before you even knew what raves were, you lot, um, in, in 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 the good old days, and um, and what we were doing was. We never, we never had entrepreneurship as a word. It never, it never existed. It was like, are you going to set a company up? Are you going to be a sole trader? Are you, you know, you, you know, your one man band or something? And so that wasn't very glamorous. It was kind of like a bit shit to be honest with you, because like a a, a, a sole trader, a one man band, is like setting a company up. It either sounded complicated or it sounded like you're a plumber. And so there was nothing kind of exotic about that. So I went to work in sales. I got a job in the city selling office equipment. Um, first day of the job, I see all these guys making money, see these whiteboards with big figures on, and I'm like, yes, you know, this is the, the energy in there was where I wanted to be, you know. Um, and I forgot to tell you, so we used to have this thing called the Early Bastards Club, and it was for the trainees. And we used to have to be at work at 6.15 in the morning in London for training between 6.15 and 8 a.m. And um, every day that took place with one of the guys who so would get to the office at 6 and 6.15 training started. If you weren't in the training at 6.15, he would lock the door and not let you in. So if you got stuck in the traffic and you were there at 6.20, tough shit, you weren't coming in. But that training really taught me an awful lot about sales. It taught me about you know how you prospect, how you you know find clients and stuff, and how you engage with people and how to understand your product. And it was a massively competitive environment, you know, knocking on the doors. EC, one, two, three, and four was my patch in London. I used to go into a company, get a compliment slip, ask the name of the office manager, ask how many office uh, machines they have, photocopiers, fax machines, and stuff like that. Then you have to come back at lunchtime, get a sandwich and a coffee, and then I have to stand in front of the phone, okay, at my desk and make 100 cold calls. But the interesting thing was how I was taught to cold call. We used to have to make these cold calls, and we didn't have all the technology you had today. You know, the phone was fixed to the desk and plugged into the wall. You know, we didn't have uh, a laptop a laptop or a computer. We had a notepad and card boxes with, you know, A to Z on one and, uh, you know, and, and January to December on the other. And so... My boss said to me, make 100 cold calls, get me 100 no's. And I was like, okay. So I called 100 people up. I was getting told to F off and B off, all that kind of stuff. And you know what? I was 
I was happy about it because I was getting the nose he was asking for. A couple of days of doing that, he's a good man, high-fiving me, well done, great job. And I couldn't understand what progress I was making. I didn't know. All I knew is I was getting people to say no to me. But then Thursday of that week, he said to me, get me one yes, just one yes. Go find 99 no's. And I'm like, okay, no problem at all. So, you know, I got a yes. I got someone that was vaguely interested and I converted into a meeting, told my boss, he gave me a high five. And he made me do that for another week, just one yes. But what he was teaching me was stuff I didn't know. Because the following week, he said to me, get two yeses. So if you think about it, one yes out of 100 is 99 to one. Agreed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So two yeses, two yeses is actually one in 50. Yeah. So I'd halved the odds from 99 to 1 to 1 in 50. And so the next week, he said, get three. The following week, he said, four. When you're getting four out of 100, that's one in 25. The following week, he's like, get six, you know. So now what was happening until I got to 10 out of 100, I'd made my cold calls go from 100 cold calls to one appointment to 100 cold calls to 10 appointments, which is now one in 10 which back then wasn't bad stats. But what he was actually teaching me was how to handle rejection, how to, how to accept no as a positive and part of the journey to finding yes. And this is where so many young people misunderstand this. Rejection is such a critical part of success in business. It's like more critical than you know. Now, if you go out you know, to a nightclub, I know you will do it online now, but when I was young, it was in a nightclub or a bar. You go to a nightclub and you want to chat a girl up. You look at a girl and you go up to kind of buy you a drink, whatever crappy pitch you've got, because you're only like 20 years old, thinking you're the coolest <laughs> book in the world with your hair gel on and everything else. You, you know, you put them in whatever it is, your Reese outfit, thinking you're a player. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 and you chat, do you go chat this girl? <laughs> and, and basically she says no. And, and you're rejected. Well, imagine if that night, imagine the three of us were in a club, loads of girls, and we just knew... We knew we were going to have to pull a girl. At whatever stage that night, we were going to have to pull a girl. And we knew we were going to get at least 20 of them say no to us. So we knew that 20 would say no before one said yes. So what you do psychologically is you choose the prettiest one as number 20, wouldn't you? You say, right, number 20, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. okay, let's go and chat to 19. Let's chat to 19, you know, six out of 10, seven out of 10. <laughs> because if you knew that you weren't chat, chat to the 19, then you'd get, you'd get to the number, the 20, and that would be the person that said yes. And it would be fun. It would be a game. We'd have a bit of a giggle with it, you know. We'd meet back at the bar and get another drink. Oh, my God, you wouldn't believe what she just said. And we'd be handling this in a really positive way. In business, it's exactly the same. You've got to understand people aren't going to say yes all the time to you. They're going to say no. And if they're going to say no, lap it up because finding the no's means you'll eventually get to a yes. How arrogant of you do you think that everyone's just going to say yes to you? How ridiculously confident are you that just everyone's going to say yes? You're stupid and naive if that's what you think. You've got to understand people are going to say no. Now, that may not be no to you. It might be no to your product or service. It might be no to you. But how many times have you been to a, how many members of your family do you not like for Christ's sake? You go to a wedding, you sit in there with cousins, you're like, I never liked you in the first place. (laughs) We understand that in a group of people, we, we don't like everyone and why should everyone like us so it taught me that 
And that was probably the most valuable lesson in business I learned, except that rejection is important. The second most valuable lesson I learned is sales doesn't come from having the gift of the gab. It doesn't come from having an outrageous personality or being an extrovert. That's bullshit. Selling is like anything. It's a skill and a craft that you have to learn and beat on until you be good at it, whether that's acting, selling, plumbing, bricklaying, being a lawyer, being, you know, if any of your audience have ever sat doing them in Facebook ads to try and generate leads, they'll know that they messed a load of it up in the beginning, didn't know what they were doing until they found a way to get it right. Well, that's exactly the same thing. It's a craft. You can't just be good at Facebook ad campaigns. You've got to learn how to do it. And so what I've found in business over the years is that young people, you know, if they took a leaf out of my book and understood that, it would armor them better and enable them to cope better with the eventual success that they're going to get. Oh, Spencer, that was mega, mate. That was mega. It really resonated with what you said then as well. Uh, I remember when I was about 19, uh, one of my best mates, I just broke up with my girlfriend and stuff at the time, and we were in a nightclub, and he was, he, I remember him saying to me, and this is a lad who got me into sales myself, he said to me, he went, go up to her and get rejected. And I was like, what? He was like, go up to her and get rejected. I went, all right. So then I started doing the same thing. And, I, you know, I went up to a few girls, got rejected. He went, go up to her, get rejected. So I went up to her. And then I think it was about the 10th one, uh, as you said. Uh, you know, I ended up getting a number, necking off of her, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, uh, I resonate massively with what you said then. Um, but, yeah, so, okay, to give you a bit of context then, um, you're absolutely bang on. In terms of getting more yeses, as you said, you know, you started off with getting one out of 100, then two to 100, and then three to 100, and so on and so on. What advice could you give to the listeners right now that when they start increasing their sort of um, the ratio um, of getting more yeses, but obviously still getting the no's, what can they implement that's going to help them get more yeses? Okay, it's a great question. So it's important to understand that to go from no yeses to 10 yeses out of 100, if you're going to make these 100 calls a day, hypothetically, you have to understand that it doesn't come by luck. It comes by, first of all, understanding and kind of like and that enabling your brain to accept rejection as positive. So that's the first thing. So it doesn't hurt you emotionally and make you, you know, your head go down and you feel a little bit, you know, miserable because someone said no. So that's the first thing. Secondly, it's a craft. Let's use this as the example, telephone sales. It's actually a skill. It's a skill. You can't just pick the phone up, make 100 calls and get better. I mean, you might get a bit better, but you're not going to get great. And so you can understand that selling is a skill. That means you've got to go study sales and all the books on sales or the videos online or sales or a sales training course so that you can understand how to handle or decipher rejections from objections. So you can understand how you pitch something so somebody would be more inclined to listen. Uh, you know, often people will give you objections that are just noise and, and, and you know, you, oh, it's just object, it's objected. Oh, oh I'm not, not going to lose this opportunity. But it's essentially a negotiation between two people and the person with the most conviction is going to convince the other person. But you've got to learn to have that conviction. So all of it is skills-based. And if people, you know, what happens is the top person in any company is the person that everyone looks at as the guy they need to learn from. But that top person might be earning 100 grand a year. Well, you know, is that is that what's possible? Or is that just what's possible because he's your kind of top tier? For me, it was like I can't allow myself to be competing with people 
that potentially aren't at the top of my potential. I have to be competing with me. I have to be understanding that I've just got to keep improving my game each month, each year, get better and better and better at doing that. And if I keep improving my best, then I know that I'll eventually overtake everyone involved. And I remember I moved to the Far East. I got into financial services when I was 23 years old. And uh, my boss said to me, look, you're 23 years old. Middle-aged people aren't going to trust their life savings with you, son. Let me just mark, mark, mark your words there. Understand this. You're a kid. And I was like, you motherfucker. Don't you tell, tell me that. That's not going to happen at all. And I just put myself in, in, a, in a space. Where I was like, I'm, I now I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to show you. And so I, I worked out that in that business at that time, the way to be really successful was to get referrals. And referrals literally – a cold call kind of converted. Okay, a referral always converted. You know, someone recommending you. It just it was a nicer phone call to make. It was a nicer meeting to have. It was a better chance of closing. The, you know, the statistics were obvious. And so what I did is I said to myself, I might not be the greatest salesperson, but can I be the greatest person there's ever been in my industry at getting referrals? And what does that look like? And that to me meant I had to work out what I wanted my outcome to be, work back from my outcome, be very, very clear on how much activity I needed, what actions I needed to take each day. So I didn't need to be motivated to take them. I just needed discipline to do them and then find the route to doing that. And for me, that was working out how to get nine referrals a day. It's a bit of a weird thing to think about, but I needed I needed to see 10 new prospects a week, which meant I needed 15 prospects in my diary. I knew that some would slip. So 15 prospects. That meant I needed to get 45 referrals, which was three referrals per prospect. If I got three referrals per prospect, I'd get a prospect. So that meant 45 a week. That meant nine a day. That meant four and a half in the morning, four and a half in the afternoon. That meant every meeting I needed to get at least just over two referrals. So what I did is I decided I was going to get three from everybody. Then I decided I was going to get four. And then I, I researched as many referral presentations as there was possible to have. You know, I became obsessive about it from the old greats to the new ones. Who knew about about referrals and what could I do? I went to networking groups where uh, the whole job of the networking group was to find referrals for each other. And so that, again, just kept me focused on my A game, focused on being really good at it. And in my industry, the best people were getting three or four referrals a week, the whole industry. And then everyone's saying, you're not going to get nine referrals a day, but you're mad. We're smoking crack. What's your problem? But for me, it was like, no, I know my numbers. I know what I need to do. Don't tell me. And then I, what I just convinced myself of was that everybody must be lazy. Everybody must be a just enougher. Because if you could get nine referrals, why wouldn't you? If you could, if it was possible, why wouldn't you? And so that for me then just became an absolute obsession for the rest of my face-to-face -face sales career was literally. And that's you know when I taught all of the people over the years that I've taught, that, you know, I've, I've developed 26 referral pitches. 26 referral pitches but that's come from years and years and years of like wanting to bang into people because you see how the world's evolved you know you saw people speaking at that event the other day oh run ads online you know create this ad campaign online whether that's billy dean or whatever it is all that costs money all of that costs money to run ads it costs me nothing to get referrals i just use my mouth and ask and so free leads paid leads Free leads, paid leads. Why would I pay for something that I could get for free and build it into and better quality? Business? And better quality. So to me, it was like, 
duh. And so I watch people in the whole you know, digital marketing space and they're yes, your lead generation is this. And I'm like, that's because you've never sat down and worked out how to speak to people and build into a presentation the most important part of your business, which is referrals. Think about it. I sell to you. I make one sale. You give me no referrals. I have no more sales to make. I see you. Mm. I make no sales, but I get five referrals from you. I've now got five people to go out to find an opportunity to make a sale. This, the referral is more critical than the sale itself. And if you can get yourself convinced of that and you can beat on your craft to learn the skills you need to learn and don't make excuses and full of shit and nonsense and piss and wind and blame for the reason you aren't where you want to be, then you can get there. Powerful, powerful stuff. Like for you guys listening to this podcast, the value that Spencer's delivered in 15 minutes is is unbelievable. I'm actually going to flip back to what you mentioned earlier when you got your first sales job. I love how your manager got you to um, ring 100 people and get 100 no's. I actually love that mentality. And it made me start thinking, a lot of our listeners are involved in the network marketing industry. Me and Jacob, we started in the network marketing industry. We're not in it now. But when you join a network marketing company, everybody says like, write a list of 100 people that you know, and then approach them to join the business. And it started to make me think that that's not the right approach. Because like you said, when you first start a business or network marketing, your confidence isn't there, your sales ability isn't there. So if you use all them 100 leads, and you've got 100 no's, your motivation and belief is going to be completely crushed. So knowing the fact that you're probably going to get no's, you may as well ask 100 people that you don't know first, get the 100 no's and then start approaching other people. So just for you guys listening, I hope you got some amazing value out of that. And in terms of what you mentioned with the whole referral side of things, that's what stood out to me when I when I watched um, you, uh, Spencer, at EMC as well. Because like you said, some amazing, amazing speakers, but a lot of them, yeah, it, it goes down the route of like ads and funnels and all that sort of stuff. But if you get it down to the nitty gritty and you just go all in on things like referrals, because number one, that's going to improve your customer service because you want to make sure that your clients are happy. So then they start passing you on to people. And also number two, like you said, it is literally free leads and they're really, really quality leads as well. But in terms of uh, you, Spencer, obviously you've got a podcast, Spencer Lodge Podcast. I'll plug it into the description as well. For I get a lot of my listeners say like they want uh, other podcasts as well. I like to like to spread the podcast holes out and about because I'm addicted to podcasts myself. And your podcast is amazing. I actually listened to to one in this morning where you interviewed Grant Cardone. And he was someone that actually was my first like role model influence to get into the sales industry and into the business world. So let me ask you a question, Spencer. Out of all over 200 podcasts you've done, what was your most memorable podcast out of all 200 and also like your reasons why? Well, uh, <clears throat> there have been many that have been very, very memorable. I mean, Tony Robbins was definitely a highlight in the early stage to get him in the studio live with us and have him in, in Dubai. It was great. Grant's been awesome as a, as a human being and a lot of people misunderstand Grant. But look, when, when I was, when I was young, I was out there, you know, most of the people that will be listening to this, I was out there trying to make it happen. I wanted to make money. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to achieve things. You know, I wanted the, the fancy apartment in the, you know, on the River Thames. I wanted the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis. I wanted all that kind of stuff, that material stuff that means success in some twisted way. You know, I wanted the fancy watches and got all of those things. <clears throat> what, what I learned once I had all of the money. So I, I had my first million at 26. I made, I'd made a million when I was 26. I had a million in the bank when I was 28. <clears throat> I was a multimillionaire, I think, at 35. So 
But again, that I've got one O level. No, there's no d- degree at Oxford or Cambridge nonsense going on here. It was just you know understanding the craft, learning the skills, and applying them in a really disciplined way. What I learned when I got all of the money is the money didn't satisfy me. I remember my first Ferrari. So I got the Ferrari and my, my wife at the time was pregnant and she, she went into labor and I had the Ferrari for about a week and I drove it into London to the way she was in hospital after she'd given birth and went into one of these car parks that spirals downstairs under underground car park. And I literally scraped the whole side of this Ferrari on the big curbs going down into the car park. And I was devastated. I was truly devastated. I just, I just had my first daughter, so I was over the moon, my first child, and now I've just damaged my first baby, which is this bloody Ferrari that I've wanted so badly. So you can imagine coming out of the car park and going into the hospital. I didn't know whether I was happy or sad. I didn't laugh or cry. What do you do? <laughs> so it's a really strange feeling. But what happened straight after is once I went and got it fixed, straight after that I drove to a Volvo dealership. Because I'd had this baby and I, and it was like, I can't have a Ferrari with a baby. What am I going to, how's it going to go in the car? And I drove to this Volvo dealership, parked my Ferrari out front and walked in. I said, I need a Volvo estate, please. Have you got one? And the guy said, yes, of course. What are you part exchanging? And I'm like, that red Ferrari. And they just started laughing at me. They're like, what's going on? I'm like, I just had a baby. And, and what, the reason I tell you that is that my priorities change. You know, it wasn't important to have the fast car. It was important to have the safe car. That's why I bought the Volvo. And you know, that, that that became the most important thing to me, this little thing that I just produced being protected. As you get older and you start to realize that money actually isn't the source of happiness, yes, it can take away some challenges, but meaning and purpose and mission is so much more important. You start then to realize that that has to be the core of what you do. And the podcast was a great example of that to me. So I started the podcast, Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, Gary Vaynerchuk, all these people that you know, you know, I was really, you know, blagged it to get some of them and got them on the show. Um, you know, I had to, I had to I mean, convince a few people of this and that, but I got them on the show. Then one day, I watched this documentary on Netflix called The Fear of 13. It was about a guy that was on death row for 20 years for a crime he didn't commit. And I was really, I was drawn to this TV show, one episode documentary. And I invited him on the podcast and he told me his story on the podcast. And I didn't speak for an hour, just shut up and let him talk. And he told this story beautifully. It was amazing. It was harrowing. It was painful. It was elating. There was all of these. For three years in prison, he wasn't allowed to speak for the first three years. Imagine that, no words. And so... That was like the, the big turning point of the podcast for me. And I'm like, I want to learn about people that have been through pain and come out the other side. So the next interview was Annika Lucas in Belgium, six years old, mum sold her into a paedophile ring. She's raped every weekend by politicians till she's 11. Okay, harrowing experience comes out the other side. Alex Lewis runs a bar in Oxford. One weekend's not feeling well. Girlfriend takes him to hospital on Monday. By midnight, they've called his mum and said, we need to amputate his arm. He's had his arm amputated. The next morning, they call his mum and say that his arms and his legs and his mouth and his nose have to go. And they took his arms off, his legs off, his mouth and his nose. They amputated it all. Handsome young guy like you guys are right now. Okay, destroyed his life in that moment. You know, everything worth living for had stopped. But the way he came out the other side of that was to 
kayak around Greenland for charity, to climb a mountain for charity with no arms and no legs, to build a wheelchair factory, to raise enough money to provide prosthetic limbs to kids under the age of seven in the UK. And I, you say to him, if you listen to the podcast, he's like, you can keep my arms and my legs. I wasn't alive until I lost them. And now I don't have them. I have purpose and mission and vision. Now, we would all go, arms and legs, you know, you couldn't imagine anything worse. Wave the white flag, give up on life. But for him, that was the start of his life. And for me, that teaches me so much about what we really need to look for and what we really need to understand about ourselves. If, you know, I know you want to get in the knickers of all the girls and you want to blim- go on all these dates, all these hot chicks and whatnot. But remember, if you date a girl who's posting pictures of herself in a bikini on Instagram, trust me, she's not your kind of girl. If you're you know, dating a girl that's got anyone can follow her, okay, and she's busy blooming doing peace and pout every five minutes and showing her boobs off as she's walking down the street in a miniskirt, okay, and they're all great pictures to look at. But if that's your girlfriend think about all the blokes that are knocking one out looking at your girlfriend lovely yeah okay <laughs> that's the truth of it okay and truth, so truth bomb that's that's the truth whether you like it or not there's blokes sitting there rubbing their thighs going oh yeah i'm giving her one she's <laughs> and she's allowing that she thinks that she thinks that's cool and then you know, the women listening to this will go yeah you know we're, we're girl power and we should be able to do what we want dress what we want it's like no don't be a nonsense idiot that's ridiculous to say that it's the you shouldn't be able to sh- show every part of your body off apart from your lingerie or your bikini for the whole world to see if you're in a serious relationship with somebody that says you i don't respect my partner so what i want men to understand young men to understand is that the reality is making money will be great and forever it will be great to make money but it's what you do with the money and how you impact other people is how you'll be remembered. And so the podcast taught me to understand what people were doing to have some form of significance in the world and to have some form of legacy. And so that people, when they spoke about uh, that person or speak about that person, speak in a way that you'd love your mum and dad to hear them speak. So the podcast did that for me, which obviously I know you know about the TV show because you've seen the trailer, which led on then for me to create a documentary all about human trafficking because I was just, I was mortified the amount of girls that are trafficked around the world, girls and boys, but girls that are trafficked around the world. And, you know, I, I met a girl that, was dating a guy and three months after dating him he said you better go and get a job because you're living off me she goes to the local hotel to get a job and he takes her into a hotel room and makes her sleep with 10 men that night and then that night and every night for the next three years and then he drives her to Amsterdam and puts her in the window in the red light district and makes her do that every night for the next three years as well and you sit there and you're like if that was your mum or your sister or your your cousin and you knew that had happened to them you'd be prepared to kill someone that did something like that But that goes on all day, every day, not only in the developing world, but in the UK as well. Whether you're in Coventry, Cardiff or London, it makes no difference. It's taking place in front of our eyes. And I wanted to try and tell the stories of heroes, the people that have been out there and fought against this. And those people to me are the most successful people in the world. They are the most inspiring people in the world they're the people i'd most like to be like not the guy that's driving around in the lambo thinking he's a dog's dinner with a cigar in his mouth okay just on the take because it becomes really worthless as you get older you can't just be in it for taking you've got to be in it for giving and the more you give the more you'll get back you know i'll give you a couple of quick examples i know it was short on time When I spend time with some of these girls from Bangladesh that I look after, when I spend time with them and they have nothing, 
like nothing. They're here in Dubai. When I spend time with them, I'm more fulfilled, more satiated, and more happy, internally happy, than I've ever been landing the biggest deal I've ever done. Happier than buying the flashiest car I ever bought. Happier than buying the nicest watch I've ever bought or the biggest house I ever bought. That happiness is true happiness and it's true feeling. And I think the sooner we all as human beings get connected to that, the sooner we can have a difference on the world. And the reality is we're all going to think about things differently. But trust me, as you get older, just trust me, because I was in your shoes. It will become meaningless unless you find true meaning and purpose. So, so, so powerful. And like that, that doc, that documentary you're, you're bringing out as well is, is going to impact so many lives. And not only that, like by the time this podcast is actually aired, your, it comes out in January, uh, Spencer, isn't it? Yes, end of it, January we, on Netflix? I think, I think end of January. Well, the way that Netflix works so that everyone's clear is that once it, the, 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 the whole product is finished, so it's in ed- edits at the moment, once it's finished, it's given to Netflix. Netflix then take it, then they schedule it. They could schedule it 31st of January. They could schedule it in the middle of February. You just don't know. You have to wait for them. Well, as soon as they tell you, then we do a press release telling everybody it's coming out on this date. It's something that stood out to me, Spencer, when you said to me, you said on stage that it's in Amsterdam, the red light district, nine out of 10 workers on the red light district are, are sex traffic. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so so when, you, when you boys go on your stag do's and you go to Prague and you go to Amsterdam and you do stag do's and you get there and you're all smoking weed and taking drugs and all that kind of stuff you do because you can in Amsterdam and you go down the red light district and you're all having a giggle looking at those girls in those windows standing there with their boobs out and their stockings and whatnot. Mark my words. First of all, remember, that's someone's sister. That's someone's daughter. That literally is someone's daughter. And most of them don't want to be there. Most of them have a pimp. And if they don't get business, they get beaten up. And most of them aren't from Amsterdam. They're from all over Eastern Europe where they've been trafficked in. And we go in and we think it's fun. You, I mean, all of you look at Pornhub and all the porn channels that exist. 76% of every woman that's on in a porn video is trafficked. Wow. That's three out of four women. So... Changes how you think about it, doesn't it? You know, because if you realise it, if you're sitting there, and let's be honest, you know, young people not one out. I mean, that goes on very frequently. Old people do as well. I mean, I asked my dad, does he still get a boner when he wakes up? And he tells me he does, and he's 78. <laughs> so fingers crossed, it's still still working. But, but it, if you start looking at something, okay, some video on on Pornhub, and you literally look at that, and you're watching that girl, and you imagine that girl is there, and she doesn't want to be there. She's there, you know, and she's threatened and she'll be beaten up if she doesn't do it. It will change the way that you look at the video. And I'm not advocating for everyone to be holier than now and go to church every Sunday and know everything's bad. I'm not. I'm just saying that journey that I went on creating the documentary taught me these statistics. You know, 500,000 kids go missing in America every year. 75% of them are from the foster care system. They go missing and they get pushed into all these different areas. You know, you see these drug addicts. You know, I was in Hollywood the other day filming the, filming the podcast. And on the street, there's all these drug addicts and these homeless people and whatnot. Okay, then there's women, homeless women on the streets. You just imagine what they're going through. Imagine the life that they're living. It's just, it's horrific. But it's very real and we turn a blind eye to it because, you know, we think about other things that are more relevant to, uh, you know, uh, ourselves and can keep us in a, in a good frame of mind. As I say, there's nothing more important in life than having purpose. And you will get the best wife, the best girlfriend, the hottest girlfriend, okay, the most loyal girlfriend and wife 
being the kind of person that supports that kind of stuff and does something about it. Okay, you'll get shallow, materialistic chicks. Okay, if you got a fancy car and you rent a Gucci pair of trainers. So just remember, what do you want in your life? You know, what are you looking for? What do you want your outcome to be? You know, what kind of wife do you want? What kind of girlfriend do you want? You know, what do you want? You want someone you that's proud as punch of you and my parents when they saw that documentary they couldn't believe it you know i'm 52 and i've just made it they couldn't believe it my, my folks are like that's my boy that's, that's my boy you know and then when your family are proud of you there's a you get a lot from it don't you spencer that was mate that was unbelievable man i'm, 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 I'm buzzing to see this uh this documentary now on netflix when it's released but you, you touched on a, a lot of things there something i really resonate with was was mission was purpose it's something i'm massive on um i'm an nlp coach and empowered intelligence and it's something i'm massively heavily on um and i've got it tattooed on my arm so i suppose a a final question for you mate is we always ask the question in this podcast uh what does your freedom lifestyle look like but i'm going to tweak it slightly i'm going to ask you what is your purpose and what is your mission going forward there are so many things wrong with the world. You know, the UN created sustainable development goals for our future. And I've learned about them all. And I care about not all of them, but I care about a lot of them. And I think at the stage I'm at in my life, luckily with the businesses behind me, the money that I've got behind me, I don't need to work. I work because I enjoy work. But I want to. I want to try and change things. I want to try and fix things. I want to try and solve this problem. It's not just making a documentary. I want to try and solve the problem of human trafficking. I want to. You know, human trafficking is bigger than the drug industry. Remember, you know, you sell a gram of coke. You sold a gram of coke. You sell a human being. You can sell him again. 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 Neither like people are sold over and over and over again. They're sold, and so it's a much bigger industry. We have a, we have a massive problem with water like a real problem with water in the world, where, where you and I take it for granted, we turn the tap off, fill the glass up, a diddly d glass of water. The vast majority of the world doesn't have that benefit. You know? and, it's like, and it can be fixed. It actually can be fixed. Um, I, I look at food security. And so I look in places where, you know, you, we, 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 we have a farm, so the fields, they grow shit, you know, they put them in the supermarkets in plastic wrapping in the shelves. You go buy the tomatoes, you shove them in your chops and you eat them or you chuck them in your spag bowl, whatever. I didn't even think about it. But there's places in the world where that food doesn't exist, but it could, you know, sub-Saharan Africa. You know, it could exist in, in countries that have huge droughts. It could exist. Um, and there's the technology to enable that to happen, but not enough governments are supporting it. Not enough governments because there's not enough in it. You know, what you learned if you watched the documentary on FIFA recently. Did you see the documentary on FIFA? Oh, I literally watched it the other day. Okay. So Mental. What, what you learn about FIFA, this esteemed organisation, this organisation who we should respect, you know, the world governing body of football. He's corrupt from the top to the bottom and everything in the middle is the most corrupt mafia style organization on the planet well they were using like they were using like charitable like 10 million pound worth of charitable money for south for south africa world cup and they just put in their back pocket mate it's horrific i mean and i urge everyone to go and watch that documentary but then that makes me say to myself what's the olympic committee doing how does someone get yeah. the Olympics? What goes on for the, you know, the world championships of snooker or ice skating or whatever it might be? 
all around the world, okay, this kind of stuff's going on. Governments are incredibly corrupt. People want power and they want money, and that's what drives them. And they don't care who suffers along the way. After being exposed to extreme suffering, I do. And so I just want to do whatever I can do just to try and make the world better, just better than it is right now, and try and make people feel loved and engaged and significant and cared for, whether they've got nothing or they've got everything. And I think that if we all could try and do that, actually this world that we live in, this great planet that we're on, with amazing human beings could be a masterstroke. Amazing. Honestly, this this podcast, you, like you're a man on a mission, Spencer, and I'm so grateful that I've got to connect with you. And I'm also so grateful that the Freedom Lifestyle listeners have got to, to listen to this amazing, amazing podcast. You are a man on a mission, your purpose, like... We're we're gonna as a as a community we're we're here to 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 create a massive impact in this world and guys obviously in the description I'm gonna be putting Spencer's podcast go check it out and most importantly um, go watch his uh, Netflix documentary that will be out when when we uh, release this episode so I'm so so excited to to get that promoting for you Spencer and I'm so appreciative um, of your time but guys this has been this has been amazing and uh, I hope you guys also enjoyed it. Adios. Adios, guys. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Lifestyle Podcast. Myself and Jacob, we have something very, very special for you. If you're an entrepreneurial lad that wants to escape the rat race without doing it alone, without feeling overwhelmed and without burning out, then come and join the Freedom Lifestyle University. Join a community full of young entrepreneurs, all escaping the rat race in all different industries. You're also going to get live weekly calls from myself and Jacob. We've invested over £60,000 into our business education and we're sharing that with you for less than a few pints a week. You're also going to have guest speakers who are six, seven and even eight figures and you're going to have daily and weekly challenges to get you to take action now to help you create your freedom lifestyle with the help of accountability. We can't wait to welcome you to the family. If you scroll down now, click the link to the Freedom Lifestyle membership. It's a cancel anytime, bit like Netflix. However, we're confident you're going to stay. We can't wait to see you in there.